the statement before that sometimes, I think that sometimes it's the simplicity of the gospel that actually keeps people from following it. And this is what I mean. I think that they view their life and their problems and the things that they've been through and their past and their struggles as all so complicated that it really couldn't be as simple as taking God at his word, trusting him as savior and beginning to follow him. And so they, they see that their life has these layers and these complications to it and these difficulties and that there's no way that just following God's word could actually help these things. Well, first of all, there's a little more to it than that, right? The simple truth is trust God, follow him, and find life. And I've said this before, simple doesn't mean easy. Simple just means we can explain it here. But it didn't necessarily mean that it's easy, <coughs> excuse me, that it's happening. So here's the truth about it, is that it only works when you do it. Like most other things in life, it only works when you actually apply it, when you actually use it, when you actually do it, when you actually live it out. That's when God's word begins to come to life. You see, it's not just about believing, it's about actually doing God's word. But here's the truth then about doing God's word. It's about doing it the right way, every time, all the time. And that's when it works to its fullness, is when we do it the right way, all the time, every time. Now we have another problem, right? We first thought we had problems and our problems are too big for God and I can't just really simply follow this. Well, hold on a minute, you think, maybe I can follow this. Okay, I'm gonna follow this, I'm gonna do this. And it works as long as I do it the right way, all the time, every time, but I can't because it's beyond me to be able to do things the right way all the time, every time. And it's those points in life when I think I'm getting it down and I'm gonna be able to do this the right way all the time that I get reminded that I'm not able to do things the right way all the time, every time. And we end up making mistakes some of those mistakes in our life have more severe consequences than others, don't they? Sometimes our mistakes are just something we can apologize and move on. Sometimes they cost us relationships. Sometimes they cost us money. Sometimes they cost us resources. Sometimes they cost us time. But we're all going to be making those mistakes. So here's the problem. We can't be perfect. And if we can't be perfect, then we can't be near to God. Because God is sinless and he can't allow sin to draw near to him. But I have good news today, and that is this, that Jesus has solved my biggest problem. Jesus has solved my biggest problem. <clears throat> it's by Jesus' sacrifice that we can draw near to God. And we've been looking at that in the book of Hebrews and in this sermon series we're calling Greater Than, the reason we're calling it Greater Than is the argument that the author of Hebrews continues to make is you bring up the subject and he says, let me show you how Jesus is greater than that. Let me show you how Jesus is greater than all the prophets before. Let me show you how Jesus is greater than the law. Let me show you how Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. Let me show you how Jesus is greater than your past. He's greater than your thoughts. He's greater than your way of doing things is that Jesus is greater than. And so 
Here's what I would like to do today, though. This is going to be a little bit different. When Jesus was asked about the greatest command, and this is a test, and so I'm going to ask for participation. I usually don't do this because sometimes this alienates people who don't know the answer. I'm not trying to alienate you. I'm just trying to show that those who do know the answer, I want to make sure that they get this. When Jesus was asked the greatest command, he said, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Okay. And then some of them add strength to that too, depending on which translation you read. So we love when we're talking about following God with all our heart, those warm, fuzzy feelings, those things that we get and we just feel connected to God and things seem right and things look right and that's it. And then with all of our soul, man, that deep feeling that's down there. But I'm going to ask you this question. How often do we stop and follow God with our mind? How often do we stop and go, okay, I need to, I need to move beyond some of just the connection things and the feelings and the emotions. And, and right now I need to make sure that I understand and I'm following God in a fresh way. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you in advance. We're going to worship God with our minds today because we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9. And chapter 9 of Hebrews goes into the background of what I said earlier is that some people can't believe the, that it's as simple as just follow God And then he begins to work and move us toward life. The more that we follow his word, the more that we put it in place. The truth is, is that we oftentimes don't think about how much it actually, how much actually goes into things that people do for us or say to us or help us out along the way. What they had to do, what they had to sacrifice, what they had to go through just so that they could bless us in some small way. We don't see that. But... In this particular passage, I'm going to take that thought that I said and we're going to look at it a little bit of what exactly did it mean for Jesus to pay the price for us so that we could know him and follow him. And so I'm going to tell you like I've told you before in this sermon series, you're getting about 20 minutes of this and it deserves a lot more of that. And so I would encourage you to go home and mark this out and read it and ask questions and go, why does it say that? I don't understand what he's talking about here. And do the homework and see. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you this morning in a brief way. But man, it's so worth just digging into a little bit more. So the author of Hebrews breaks down right here, I believe, our need for Jesus and the work he's done. And I think it's worth worshiping God with our minds today a little bit and seeking to understand that statement a little bit more, and I think it will lead us to more gratitude and more faith in him. So if you will, Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 11. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So, so far, we've got high priest, tabernacle, most holy place, sacrifices, and we're just two verses in. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. <clears throat> Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now we're going to stop right there, but I'm going to encourage you to read the rest of the chapter a little bit later today, but there's already all these words that are said there that help us begin to piece some of this stuff together of exactly what is going on when Christ took our place and suffered death on the cross so that we could come to know him. Here's the bottom line thought for you today is what we need to understand is that no matter where you are in life, no matter what your past has had in its place, no matter where you stand today, no matter what you think about what's going on in your life or in the future, God desires so much for you to know him that God will make a way. That's what you need to understand. God will make a way for you to know him. So let's talk about some of these things that were in this this passage that he brought up. He brought up the high priest. The high priest is the person that stands in the gap. He mediates between God and man. And then he mentions that he appeared in this tabernacle. Okay, what's, why? What's the point of this tabernacle? All right, let me just give a little bit of a background on this. The tabernacle was first built when God gave the plans to Moses. And Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And they build this tabernacle. But why? What's the purpose? Just so that they could have something to do, carry around a lot of things, put it up, take it down, put it up, take it down. See if, what, what's the purpose of this? Look, understand this. It's been God's will since he created us that we know him and that we walk in relationship with him. I'm going to say that again. It's been God's will since he created us, that we know him and that we walk in relationship with him. He created us to do that. But when sin entered the equation, we were no longer able to walk in fellowship with him. So I'm going to fast forward a lot. So you come to the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was a way for God's presence to be with his people, even though they're not able to walk directly with him. Because the tabernacle had the most holy place where the presence of God was and only the high priest could go in there once a year on the day of atonement to make sacrifices for the people. But it's, it, it represented and it was there that they understood that that's where God's presence was because God desired so much to be with them, he made a way for them to know that God is there with them. So that's why this tabernacle was so important. <clears throat> you see, when we sinned and it separated us from God, it changed our ability to walk in fellowship with him, but it did not change God's love for us. God still desired to be with us, but sin's what made it impossible for us to be near to God. And when you look back in Genesis chapter 3 at the story of the fall of man, there's something that stands out to me. is, is that God at that moment when their sin was discovered... And when God called it out, you see in chapter 3 that he talks about the consequences of their sin. And God is going on with the things that are going to happen now, now that they have sinned, 
what must take place because you can no longer walk in fellowship with me. And so now you've started down this road. And there's consequence after consequence after consequence after consequence of just this decision of sin. But then I want you to notice something. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, there's, this verse has always stood out to me. Because in the midst of God just talking about all these things that are going to happen, this is, what, this is what it says. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, why does that stand out to me so much? Because here's this moment where God's going, okay, you've sinned, and because you've sinned, you're now cursed, and because you're cursed, here's your consequences, and here's all the things that are going to happen. You're now going to be banished from the garden. You're going to be out on your own. You're going to have to do your own thing. It's going to be hard for you to live. It's going to do this now. Hold on. Let me take care of you. In the moment that God was talking about the consequences of sin, his love was still actively at work, and he was taking care of his people even in the midst of their sinfulness. Because God loves us, and his desire is that we walk with him. You see, I hope you realize that your sin and my sin, it has consequences. And we can't change oftentimes those consequences. A relationship with God doesn't change that. God didn't go to Adam and Eve and go, well, just because I love you, we're going to skip all these consequences. He's like, no, you've sinned and this has to be dealt with. But even in the midst of you having to deal with this, I'm going to take care of you. But we're still going to have to deal with this. And so... What it does change when we walk with God is not that our consequences go away. It's that God begins to love us even through those consequences. And we see that he's still with us and that he hasn't forgotten us and that he's not just mad at us waiting to punish us and do all these things. And so the tabernacle represented a way that God in his presence could be with his people even though he had to be separated because of their sin. His presence was still there. Once a year, the high priest entered the most holy place. He made sacrifices for himself. He made sacrifices for the people. You see, that covenant system was put in place because of our sin, but also because God wants to be with his people. So I want you to hear this. God desires to be near to you. I want you to hear that today. No matter where you are in life, no matter what your past has been, no matter what's going on, God desires to be near to you to you and for you to be near to him. And so it was the breakdown of this covenant system, as we mentioned there in verse 15. It's the breakdown of this covenant system that was established by God that caused the need for Jesus to be there. But listen, the breakdown of that system wasn't because God couldn't make it work. Because we couldn't make it work. You see, God created us he created us to walk in relationship with him. He gave us everything we need, everything we could possibly want. He put us here and he said, now, just follow my way. Don't go this way. And we go this way. And so God again comes and goes, okay, I'm going to create a way for me to be with you. We're going to put these things in place. Stuff has to happen to cover your sin. We're going to go this. And we go, okay, well, that doesn't work either because we're not going to follow that. And so the breakdown wasn't on God's part. It was on our part. We took the system that God put in place in the Old Testament. And, and you look. And, and listen to what happened to it and think about what we do sometimes with our faith today. The system in the Old Testament quit working because they made it about personal gain rather than about God's presence. They made it about personal gain rather than about the presence of God. God wants to be with his people. They turned it into a system to make money. They began to revere the system 
more than the Savior. And so they began to, to put all these rules in place to follow the rules so that you had rules to follow the rules that the rules were. You know where I'm going with that? And so they just weren't trying to protect the system and they forget that the system was put in place so they could walk in relationship with God. And then even beyond that, depending on which side of the, of the coin you were on, people began to fear the punishment of God and run from him because they were just thinking that God was just ready to destroy them. Or they were on the other side of it and they just flat began to ignore his presence and take advantage of his grace. Well, God's just going to forgive anyway. So I'm just going, well, God will forgive me of that anyway. So we're just, mm, okay, God's going to forgive me of that anyway. And we just do that. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Guys, we're the problem. That's the whole thing. That's the whole point of this thing. It's not that God's waiting up there to punish us. It's not that all this stuff is going on. We're the problem, and God wants to draw near to us. You see, we can misunderstand this system, and we can begin to wrongly think that God just wanted to punish people, and God wanted to show them how wrong they are, and he wanted to kill a lot of animals, and he wanted to, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not in God's nature. The story of Scripture reminds us in God's loving kindness that he continues to make a way through all of our mess to lead us to his presence because he wants to be with us. See, the law and the sacrificial system that a lot of times, let's just be honest, as Christians today we go, do you read the Old Testament? Yeah, I kind of flipped through it like that because, whew, that Old Testament, but man, this New Testament's awesome. All that stuff that we see in the Old Testament that was put in place it was good because God is good. And it was there to draw us into his presence. But then it was misused, and so therefore the breakdown of it was us. The same thing can happen today in the new covenant. Is a misuse and the, miscon and the misconceptions of it, it can lead us away from God. And so God said, look, there's got to be a new way, and that's why he sent Christ. In Isaiah, the prophet shares these words from the Lord. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You see, again, God made a way for us to be near to him. He sent his son Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice. So when we say that if you will give your life to Christ and follow him, he'll forgive you of your sins and you'll find life in living out his word, though I can say that in a sentence of the simplicity of it, hopefully now you begin to see a little bit of what went into that happening is that God has continued to work from the beginning of creation to be in a relationship with us. And we're the ones that keep wandering away. So hopefully, like I said, in worshiping God with our mind in that moment, it does something in your heart that says, okay, there's, there's something that needs to happen. I now begin to see a little bit bigger picture of everything that's happening so that God is desiring to be with me. He's taking care of all of these things so that I can walk in his presence. So what am I supposed to do now? Well, what has Jesus done for me? It's a question that we need to answer. And the first thing is very, very clear. He's paid the price for my soul. Jesus Christ has paid the price for my soul. Even in the midst of my sinfulness, he's paid the price for my soul. And that's why it says 
in Hebrews chapter 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal, eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It's a lot of words that says Jesus paid the price for my soul. And he made a way because the old covenant couldn't make a way. And so he's paved a way for me to know him now. And more than just paying the price for my soul, listen to this. He's made my heart clean. He's made my heart clean. He says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from the dead work so that we can serve the living God? Think about that. The work of Christ not only paid the price for our soul, he made our hearts clean so that we can walk in relationship with God. And the way that that happened was the death of Jesus Christ that stood in the gap for us. He died when we should have. But because the sacrifice has been made, God will accept the sacrifice of Jesus for the sins that I've committed so I can walk in relationship with him. God will make a way. And he does. Now, how then am I supposed to respond to that? I mean, you just think about this for just a minute. When, when God made your heart clean, how many of you just love it when your house is clean? Anybody else just love it when you're, I love it when the house is clean. Now, that doesn't say that I clean it all the time. But I just, it's that moment. But here's, here's what I've realized about my house. The moment that I do the last thing in saying, okay, the house is clean, and then I start living in it again, it's not clean. Will laundry ever end? Okay, it won't. <laughs> it won't. Y'all know that. It won't. It's like, okay, all the clothes are clean. Oh, no, I've got clothes on. You know, it's just this, it's this whole thing. It's just never-ending cycle. And I honestly think that some of this was the same type of thing with this sacrificial system. You imagine that on the Day of Atonement that the high priest goes in and he, he offers the sacrifices for himself. He offers the sacrifices for the sins of the people. And then the Day of Atonement's coming to an end, and they're walking back to their tent, and what do they need? Sacrifices again for the sins they've committed, walking home from church on the Day of Atonement. It's not the system's fault. It's the person's fault, but God continues to make a way. So then what do I do? How do I live in that way? How can I respond to God? It's, it's pretty simple, but it wasn't easy on God's part. I repent. I repent, which, which simply paraphrased means I turn from sin and I live for him. I repent. I say, okay, I'm going to stop following these things. I'm going to turn and live for God. Can I just go ahead and ask you a rhetorical question? Are you going to be able to do that to perfection? No. Not going to be able to. So then some people would say, well, then why bother? Well, we bother because it's the path to life. When we repent, we turn from our old ways and we start to live for God, then we begin to experience the life that he has for us, that he's gone through so much just to provide a way for us to be able to know him. She knows. You're good, Cameron. Is she bothering anybody? No. Okay, well, I'll hear the sermon. We're good. All right. That's what God has done. He's done so much so that we can just know him 
and walk with him, we need to remember that. And the way that we remember that is we repent. Even though we know we can't get it right all the time, we can get it right and we can have those glimpses of life. Here's the deal. Psalmist puts it this way. You do not want to sacrifice, God, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. What does that mean? It's a heart that says, God, I'm going to do everything I can to live for you, even though I know I'm not going to get it right all the time. When I get it wrong, I'm going to just get up again and I'm going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to follow you because I know that what your word demonstrates more than anything else is that from the beginning of time, you've desired nothing more than for us to have a relationship with you and to walk with you. So we repent, we seek him, and we seek a relationship with him. It's not a system. It's not rules to follow, it's a relationship. And when we do that, we find that walking in relationship with God leads us to life that goes beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. Now again, I know that this is a little heady today, but I think again, seeing how the pieces fit together and what works in this and what God did and all the systems he's put in place since the beginning of time, which again, I've given you 15 minutes on today. But to you to go back and look at, wow, and understand that God did all these things because he desires to have a relationship with me, I think begins to sink into our heart of what am I doing then to seek a relationship with him? If God's going through all this, what am I doing to try to run to him as well? You see, when we begin to live in the right way, this is what it says in 1 Timothy. We begin to follow him, and this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. Listen to God's heart here. Who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. One of my absolute favorite passages in scripture right there in 1 Timothy. I think one of the reasons I think it's my favorite is because Paul says in two sentences, what the author of Hebrews took chapter 9 to tell us is that there's one God who loves us, who desires a relationship with us. There's one mediator between God and mankind, the person of Jesus. And Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all so that we could know that God. But to look at the details of it, I think helps us tremendously. Bottom line, where does that get us to? Here's where it gets us. I'm fully known and I'm fully loved. And we say that at this church all the time. It's our vision, if you will, to be, to be a place where people can discover they're fully known and they're fully loved. And, and we see that so descriptively here in this passage that God knows. He knows everything that we've done. He knows the inadequacies, and the inadequacies that we have. He knows the consequences that are supposed to be there for our sin. He knows the things that we're going through. Listen to me, guys. He knows your past. Whether your past was five seconds ago or five decades ago, he knows your past. And he's greater than that. He's greater than your past. Because no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, God continues to make a way for you to know and follow him and find his presence. I'm going to say this again. I said it earlier. Oftentimes, when people do things for us, we have no idea to the lengths that they've gone to 
just to make that sacrifice or to do something for us. Whether it be a word of encouragement, a gift, a help, something along those things. We have no idea what's going on sometimes in their life. But this passage is so detailed, sometimes even, even analytical in its explanation of the work that Jesus Christ has done so that we can have life. The old system didn't work because the people couldn't do it. So God loved us so much that he inaugurated a new system in the person of Jesus Christ. And it started just like with Adam and Eve right at the moment that we needed it. And so God meets you right where you are. And he desires nothing more than to have a relationship with you. So what's your response to that? What's your excuse? What's the thing that's standing in your way of saying, God, I'm going to give it my all on this. What is it that you think is greater than the work that God's done for us that's keeping you from finding this full life in him? I hope today you'll realize that there's nothing greater in this life than knowing and following Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?